Yo, you see it. It's driving by back again with you on the Sports Bag Bros Podcast, episode 36. That's right. You might have missed the previous 35, or you might have caught a couple of them in between. But this is 36 right here. And if you know anything at all, we have the sports goods and we want to have the conversation with you. You know, we've had a lot of conversation in the past, in the past two weeks especially, but it was boxing. But now football has come back on the scene. Not only pro football, yes, sir. but we also have college football as well. So we have some news to bring to you. Baseball, as you know, is going to be somewhat of a conversation to have today as well. He's biased. Let him know what's going down today. What's up? Good to be back. As, as Trav mentioned, we're back to sports. Boxing's on the back burner for now. It was fun while it lasted, but let's yeah. get into it. You know what? It was a mainstream deal with this last fight we had, especially between Earl Spence and Bud Crawford. So everybody, if they loved boxing or liked boxing on the fence of boxing, they would have liked the conversations that we had along the way during that That's time. Yes. But, but right now, the NFL is now brewing. We're talking about a preseason game, the Hall of Fame game being played tomorrow, which is Thursday. The New York Jets taking on the Cleveland Browns. And, of course, there's some buzz going on right now with the New York Jets and, you know, uh, Peyton out there and Bronco land. And we're not going to get to that momentarily. But right now, uh, Trey Lance, I mean, he's with the San Francisco 49ers. He was picked up three years ago. He was the third pick overall in the draft. They were expecting so much from him. But he's not necessarily where they need him to be right now, especially with the surprise starter, Brock Purdy doing that and owning the team for the moment. Right. You know, well, he injured his elbow, so he, he's got to recover from that. And he's behind the eight ball. He, he's still a young quarterback. He missed a lot of time. He needs snaps. But we'll be able, we'll be able to get the snaps because Purdy performed. But Purdy's coming back from injury, too. Yeah, Purdy's coming back from injury, but at least he's a proven entity. They're still trying to find out what they have right now in San Francisco when it comes down to uh, Trey Lance. And I don't think they figured it out because there's been mixed reactions to what he's been doing at camp so far. You know, you get these mixed stories. One minute he's not doing well. The next minute, you know what, this is the best I've seen him in his third year. You know, you just just don't know what to believe unless you're there and you know what the (laughs) coaches are looking at. And the coaches right now could say almost whatever they want because they do know they have Brock Purdy, even though coming off of injury, they know that he had taken them close to the promised land last year. And the argument could be made that he could have gotten them to the promised land if he was at 100%. Right. It is still early in camp. They haven't played any preseason games yet. So there's still a lot of work to be done. He still has time to show what he can do. Uh, Has he come back fully from the injury? You know, they just got to battle it out. Um, but Purdy, he, he he took them to the championship last year. Uh, so I think he has the inside track. Yeah, absolutely. And Darnold was boarded as well. So there's a three, you know, I wouldn't call it a three-man <laughs> race. It's like a battle for second place. And whoever ends up first place, which in my opinion, regardless of what's going on right now or what they would like to have happen, it's Brock Purdy coming off an injury and everything else because – Lance or Trey Lance is coming off an injury as well. So we'll see how that goes on in 49er land as this battles out. Because once again, this is the NFL season. It is upon us. And there are 32 teams that we can kind of poke and prod on. We'll have time to do that at some other time, talking about all 32 teams, if it comes down to that. But right now, the stories that kind of stick out, the storylines you want to get into, the Jacksonville Jaguars is one of those storylines. I mean, they're looked at as a serious Super Bowl contender. No longer the bottom dweller, the seller dweller Jaguars who can't sell out their own stadium. That's a thing of the past. They have real players, a quality franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Right. And now there are other prognosticators out there who are allegedly are the experts talking about them when they're talking about Super Bowls. I don't know if the Super Bowl talk is appropriate just yet, but – you know, that's a good young team right there. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence, uh, Travis Etienne. He, yeah. he could possibly have a breakout season. They have Kelvin Ridley. You know, that, that offense has the potential to put up some numbers. And exactly. If, if you can score in the NFL, you give yourself a shot. 
Oh, absolutely. And especially in this NFL where you do have a solid defense, which the Jaguars showed for a while last year before they had before they had a little lull in the action. And then that offense finally picked up. Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, is ahead of schedule because he did in his second year, which most quarterbacks look to do in their third year. That's when you want to see the progress of if you made the right decision or not with your quarterback. Well, the Jaguars took <clears throat> one overall and he's paying dividends sooner than later. Does the consistency come into play? Do you see this being the third year, moving on and taking it by the horns and living up to expectations? Because he is ahead of a year ahead. You would think he'll take another step up. He he should be improving. If he did the work in the offseason and he, mm -hmm. he studies the film, you know, does everything that all modern quarterbacks should be doing nowadays, I don't see why not. Why why wouldn't he take another step up? Yeah. Um, they got the taste of the playoffs, and, you know, they, that whets your appetite. You want more. Yeah, and you know what? The Jaguars, as an organization, they were one of those organizations, along with the Carolina Panthers, who came by in 1995, had early success. And it was kind of fool's gold because I think a lot of people in the Jacksonville area probably believed that this was going to be the norm, going to the playoffs, having a consistent winner, and living happily ever after. You know, Jacksonville, <laughs> before that, is pretty much known as a college football town because the Gators are just about 60 miles away, not too far away. Most things in North Florida, Northeast Florida in particular, are Gators related. So the Gators kind of ruled the roost here all of those years. So these fans thought this was going to be an, uh, a year-in, year-out thing. It didn't happen that way. A big lull in going to the playoffs and being successful at all showed itself to where the Jaguars couldn't sell out tickets. They were being blacked out on a regular basis. But now those young fans that were back Dream in 1995 blackout. who were 5 years old, who were 10 years old, those guys are in their 40s now. They're officially Jaguar players. You know, of Jaguar fans and their kids now. Are <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're in trouble if those guys are playing. <laughs> yeah, right? It'll be big trouble if those guys are playing. But those old fans that used to be the kids of 1995, those are now the ticket buyers. And those are now the, 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 the real core of the Jaguar fan base. So I don't think you have to worry about, you know, playing a team, uh, fans not coming to games anymore. I mean, I've gone to Jaguar games and they've been filled up even before Trevor Lawrence, but with Trevor Lawrence doing what he did last season, the buzz is in the city. Travis Etienne, as you mentioned, if he can hang on to the ball, Pro Bowl easily. I mean, or first team Pro Bowl, I mean, if you could call it first team, but probably first team or second team all pro, but definitely Pro Bowl. He catches out of the backfield well, which helps with chemistry is that he was Trevor Lawrence's teammate and roommate right. at Clemson, so that always helps chemistry. And then you talked about Calvin Ridley coming in, being suspended because of gambling, which we will get back into a little bit later when it comes to college football. But he was gambling when he was with Atlanta, suspended. The Jaguars made the trade, has him now as a bona fide number one, even though Christian Kirk was supposed to be their number one, coming from uh, the Cardinals, uh, not necessarily a number one in my opinion and in the opinion of others, more of a bona fide number two. We have a real number one. A number two, and now Ingram's now signed as a tight end, kind of completing all of that firepower. It looks like it's definitely going to be something going on in Jaguar land, finally, with consistency. Yeah, it looks it looks like it. Um, like I mentioned, they're a team on the up and up, and you know, got quality young players yes. in, in at uh, impact positions. So they they should make a lot of noise this year. Yep, and I think the Jaguar fans finally are getting what they deserve because hey, they've been through it. I mean, I think all teams and fan bases, especially in the NFL, deserve to get you know to have a team that's a winner. But the Jaguars in particular, because they've been criticized, they've been ridiculed for so long. Even when they were winning, there was always some element of yeah, but they're the Jaguars. They won't continue to win. <laughs> if the year they went fourteen and two and ultimately fourteen and three. They lost to the same team, the Tennessee Titans, three times that season. It's like they couldn't get out of their own way. There was always something that was keeping them from becoming what they believe they should have been. Now they do have that franchise quarterback. Now they have a legitimate coach, not Urban Meyer. Doug Peterson is someone <laughs> who's done it before. He knows how it looks to build a championship team and coach a championship team. And he's here now in Jacksonville and in his first year. 
he proved that he knows what the hell he's doing. And we, let's see if that consistency can continue. And as the NFL continues to swirl, the Jets playing tomorrow once again in the Hall of Fame game against the Cleveland Browns, we can go to, well, Cooper Cup out there in L.A., the Rams. The hamstring is an issue right now. They don't have too many wide receivers, man. Yeah, that, that that's a huge loss for them. Uh, he's supposed to be out a few weeks, and they're going to be cautious. Um, and that's the smart thing to do. You don't want to rush him back and then lose him for longer. If you're without him with the, for the first couple of weeks of the season, well, you still have 15 games with him. You know, but if he comes back trying to make opening day and uh, re-injures it, maybe doesn't come back to week six, week seven, and now you're, you're talking about him missing significant time. And then you're talking about who else is there as a wide receiver to help out? Van Jefferson? I mean, there aren't really many receivers there, and he was obviously their guy. Quarterback-wise, you know, Matthew Stafford has always been a solid quarterback. I don't think he's been great and kind of on the cusp of being good because the consistency isn't there to be good. Well, he was with Detroit, so I don't know how good he could have been with any consistency <laughs> there. But he has himself a Super Bowl. Uh, he had an excellent team around him. And, you know, and if, if anything happened at the quarterback spot, we have a rookie backing him up, and that's Stetson Bennett, national check, 25, 26-year-old guy backing him up. But with Cooper Cup out of the mix, I don't think they have any shot of even winning their own division. Yeah, it'd be rough. You know, he, he's the guy that makes that, that offense go. Um, and if he's not on the field, then they're going to be in trouble. Yep. But, you know, they, they they made moves in the past. Who who says that they don't make another move to bring in the top wide receiver? Yeah, that's true. But Cooper Cup, I mean, just a couple of years ago, he was near 2,000 yards, you know, uh, receiving. I mean, now we're talking about, you know, a 17-game season. He's probably – you know, had his opportunities, different team around him. Todd Gurley isn't there, but Todd Gurley didn't do a whole lot when he was there at the end. But, yeah, the, uh, the Rams, a lot to be desired. They have their ring. I guess they need to be happy with that. But Cooper Cup, one of the prominent names wide receiver-wise in the NFL, player-wise in the NFL, when you look at his Cinderella story coming from Eastern Washington, becoming the player he has become. The injury bug once again strikes him. This time the hamstring, he may be out for some weeks. Will that, that be the entire preseason or will it linger into the regular season is yet to be known and yeah so some hammies as you you said linger some hammies linger a long time man you never really know because as soon as you start feeling good and you in your mind psychologically you're thinking that if i make that sudden move which wide receivers have to make out of their breaks you would think that in your mind you're thinking man that's what's gonna what's gonna happen and you know it may or may not but i can see just from the psychological part it's pretty hard to come back from. And then if the injury just feels sore and not necessarily hurt, you know, players play through pain. But then yeah. when you already had this type of an injury and you start feeling the remnants of it, you know, do you sit out? Do you get cautious? Do you worry more? <clears throat> Does it affect your game from doing all of the above? I mean, we'll get to see that. Yeah. Hopefully he can get fully healthy. You know, a lot of times players start overcompensating and they injure yep. another part of the body. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. So the NFL, the Rams, Cooper Cup, that's a story to keep an eye on because camp has just started last week. Uh, preseason games are starting up, so we'll get a chance to see these guys in the contact, just not Cooper Cup when it comes to the Rams. But we also will get to hear in the meantime, before any games are played, the Jets in particular playing tomorrow against Cleveland, Nathaniel Hackett, Sean Payton, the coach's code. Let us know about that. <laughs> Come on, the coach's code. Yeah, I asked yesterday, isn't there a coach's code that Payton broke? And today, uh, Hackett confirmed he broke the code. Um, I, I don't know. It was kind of a weak response considering that Payton went all in on him and all he said was he broke the code. Uh, I mean, you, you got to defend yourself better than that, in my opinion. Well, there's a, a thing called the high road. I True. guess Nathaniel Hackett wants to take the high road. You know, even Aaron Rodgers came out and it's kind of like, Keep my coach's name out of your mouth trying to stand up for Nathaniel Hackett. You know, he says that Nathaniel Hackett was his favorite coach. You know, so somebody stood up. But once again, I don't I don't know what this is all about. I mean, much ado about nothing. This isn't a division rivalry or anything like that. If Bill Belichick <laughs> would have said it or, you know, or someone in the AFC East would have said something like that. It's more of a story. 
Sean Payton coming back from alleged retirement back into the NFL with the Broncos, who didn't play well last season. And I think you might have mentioned it yesterday. He's probably putting that front out there because he knows what's coming with these different Broncos. But why pick fights with other teams that aren't in your division? Say that to the Las Vegas Raiders or something. Can't see. <laughs> say something to them. I don't know, because he has to play them. He doesn't want to give them bulletin board material. <laughs> Matter of fact, I think this year, aren't they playing the Jets? You know, I have, I'm a Jets fan who has not looked at the schedule, but I believe they're going to play the Jets this year. But either way, you know, if, if you're going to go down the drain and look bad, now he has the credibility because of what he's done in the past. He has that ring. It's never going away. He's known as an offensive mind. He does have Russell Wilson, who's known to have some offense, even though he's older, he does have a ring of his own. He's been to two Super Bowls. but Should have two. Yeah, he could have had two. Yeah, all right. Pete Carroll said, no, I don't want you to have two and no one else. So <laughs> and that's what happened. But, you know, I don't see why Sean Payton, when he said the Jets are looking for too much attention the wrong way, something to that effect, you know, by uh, doing too much in the offseason to get attention. I mean, whoever would have gotten Aaron Rodgers would have gotten attention. Right. I, I don't know. If, if, if I'm responding to Sean Payton, I just say, don't start none, won't be none. Yeah, well, don't start none, won't be none, but you have 17 games to figure out what that something is. And I don't think it's going to look good for him anyway, and I know, I know at some point this is going to come bite him in the butt because it always does. Anytime you come after most people in any type of environment, especially sports, and then now with social media with a camera in your face all the time, it almost never ends well. You could say something and just... <laughs> And it doesn't end well later yeah. on. And you might end up getting fired. But in this case, he won't get fired. But he'll end up looking bad. In fact, he's had a great record, as I've spoken about yesterday, throughout his entire NFL career. You know, don't really include the COVID time. But, you know, if, if he wins four games this year, five games this year, Max, that's not a good look no matter who you are. If the Jets play uh, the Broncos this year, that that's a game to circle on the calendar because – uh, just my trying to hang 40 plus on him. Oh, and you know, and, and once again, I guess if he did break the code, well, I guess the Jets, if they're in the position to break the code of blowing teams out, <laughs> they'll do that as well. Because a lot of these coaches are classy, even when they seem like they aren't, and they don't run up the score, you know, or they don't, you know, they kind of take guys out. They kind of sort of take it easy. The players want to get their stats, so they're still going to play hard. But the coaches kind of temper it down a bit, put backups in there, get some experience and all that kind of thing. I think this will be, if you want to break rules, we can break rules. And if there's an opportunity to, to drop 40 on you and we see you're struggling to get three, we're going to do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, I, I'm not sure I would want my coach talking junk about someone else. But, uh, look, we're talking about it. It's generating interest. Yeah. Um. It's entertainment, you know. Football is entertainment, and uh, too bad Buddy Ryan's not around anymore. Oh. But if he was around, fight, he'd have fight, a lot fight. to say. Yeah, you know. But um, yeah, it, it just makes things more interesting. And if they're on the schedule, that's going to be a real interesting game. Yes, of course. And as a Jets fan, I should know already. I should have checked out the schedule already. <laughs> Man, I have so many things going on. People will not understand ever, but. There are 24 hours in a day, and I could have taken 24 seconds of those 24 hours to look at the schedule and see what my Jets are up to. But I do know for Jet sure schedule. they will be playing tomorrow. They Jet will. schedule. That's, that's all you <laughs> Jet schedule. They don't even <laughs> want to talk about it. They said we'd rather talk about Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett and Sean Payton. But, hey, fun in the NFL right now because things are bubbling up. It's brewing. Fights in camp everywhere, it seems like, you know. Coach uh, up there, what Josh yeah. Allen fight with players up there too at one point. So that's what happens in training camps. You normally don't get your quarterbacks fighting with players, but when they're fiery like that, those types of things can happen. What isn't so fiery is what's going on in, in the college football ring. So we've been talking about it for now, going on three. It, it sounds like the NFL now. It is the NFL. These guys are the these are the guys who probably wouldn't have made the NFL, but they'd like to make the news as NFL players, right? So they're masquerading, and this is Northwestern. University, unbelievable. The Wildcats have already fired their coach, Pat Fitzgerald, who I thought all of these years was an upstanding guy. <laughs> We're finding out a whole lot different going on now. And what is that difference? Allegedly, allegedly. allegedly, we don't know for sure, right? 
Yeah, but I mean, a lot of these allegations, I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to make allegations into fact without giving people their due, uh, due process. But you're up in that area. You get to hear a lot more of it than I would hear down here in Florida. You know, Big Ten country. You're close to Chicago, so you know. Yeah, uh, former offensive lineman, uh, I believe Roman Diaz, he mm-hmm. he came out, he did an interview, and he talked about what he had to deal with. He said uh, they disparaged him about his Mexican heritage. They they shaved 0505 and it said to indicate Cinco de Mayo, you know, as a negative. Um, and he says the coaches were aware of it. He says the school was aware of it, but he wants to focus on the sport of the or yeah, on the sports program because that's where it actually happened. But he he thinks the school is, is somehow should be held responsible also, because according to him, the school, you know, whatever staff members he's referring to, knew about it. Yeah, you know, looking at something like that, I don't think there's anything that you could hide from with that. If that turns out to be true, you put a single demio in his head, you already know what the connotation is. You know, there's nothing good about doing that, especially if he probably didn't want to do it, but he tried to just get along with teammates. And, and I wonder, did he go out beforehand and go to some administrator or some coach and let them know what was going on? You know, just so they'd know, not for it to necessarily get out because you don't want to call all of this dissension within a locker room as you as a player and everybody calling you this kind of guy now because you've talked about what happened inside the locker room. It's kind of a fine line. Between yeah. what could happen in the locker room and just and even something like that and talking to coaches and possibly having it leak outside of the locker room and becoming this morass, which has become right now. Yeah, and I believe he said the hazing he he uh, had went through involved some type of sexual connotation or content. Ooh. I don't know. There were no details, but you can use your imagination if – if, if someone's being sexually hazed, yeah. not saying he's being touched or violated physically, but what are they saying? Yeah, use your imagination. I don't think it takes much to do that. When you're talking about a locker room, what happens in a locker room, the way things could be in a locker room, leave it to your imagination, and it, become, it can become something pretty bad because if they're getting to this point now, and there's other players, of course, who are saying a lot of the same things, and they're just as appalled. And, you know, I think some of the older school people would talk about, well, these players today are soft. Why would they let something like that get out of the way? You know what? I mean, something like that, that's degrading. And even though, you know, you, you could be as hard as you want, man, because the, the other thing, in order, if you weren't feeling degraded, you would have been fighting. So that would have been the other part of the equation. And that might have worked out well yeah. with the team either. If you'd have taken it personal, decide to throw fists with, about it instead of just going to a coach trying to get it taken mm-hmm. care of before it got outside the locker room. I mean, it's one thing if they say, well, that dude's the effing Mexican, and that's the pole out there, and that dude, he, he, his family's from Germany. They're probably Nazis. You know, if everybody's getting it, that's one thing. But if you're singling people out now, now you have a real problem. Yeah, and that's why I thought that Pat Fitzgerald, you know, we don't know these guys. I mean, we see what we see unless you've been part of the recruiting and visited these guys and even then they're putting on an act because they want you to come to their school or they come to your house doing the same kind of thing. I've seen it up close. You know, I've always thought Pat Fitzgerald was this really good coach, really nice guy. The alumni embraced him. The team's always embraced him. If if you watched him play in that Rose Bowl uh, when he did play against, I think it was USC. And, you know, he was the heart and soul of that defense. So when he got the job, People who kind of knew about him, who weren't, who had nothing invested in Northwestern, you know, you were happy for him because I was happy for him. I remember him being fiery, being that guy that didn't have the talent to go to the NFL, but he probably was going to be one of those cerebral types. Well, no surprise coming from Northwestern, but a football coach that would be the players coach and not necessarily live happily ever after because, well, Northwestern will not likely win a championship or even get close, but somebody who would be a good representative of the school and yet, this is what we end up with. And I'm, I'm still not sure the athletic directors made a comment or held a press conference. Uh, they, uh, his uh, his absence is uh, kind of suspicious, in my opinion. Well, as of, I think, the day before yesterday, they hired an attorney to do an internal investigation. And from that investigation, I guess we'll get a whole lot more added on top of here. 
because we can either get confirmation of what already has been said or even more accusations or more things to where there may be criminal charges to where Pat Fitzgerald may have to, uh, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, but hey, he may have to pay for something down the But line. I mean, he, he could at least have a press conference and say, the things we're hearing, the things the kids are alleging are disturbing. We're looking into it. We did this. They're going to come and investigate. To my knowledge, I haven't, I haven't seen a, a press release from him, let alone him field questions. Yeah, up there in your area, you know, if he were on television, you, you'd know. You know what I mean? So this isn't just his little secret that he's doing over in the Chicago area. And because you're in Florida, because you're out in Seattle, Washington, you don't know what's going on unless you really have to push for it. His, his The entire organization, the entire uh, college or university is on the forefront with this, these allegations. And I think it's accentuated even more because it's Northwestern. This isn't, you know, look, call a spade a spade. This isn't the type of behavior you would expect for Northwestern. I'm not going to mention a specific school in which you would accept, expect it from. But there are schools that you know that if it was said, you are less surprised than you would be if it's Northwestern. You know what I mean? Because of Northwestern's reputation. But it, it started with the African-American players. Now we have a Latino player. You know, too many of the same stories are coming out. How long is it going to be before we hear another Latino football player or even athlete? Because now we found out, as you've been talking about before, it's not just the football players anymore. It's other athletes in the athletic department. You know what else? I haven't seen former players coming out saying, I never saw that. That nope. didn't happen. So, I mean, right. that, if anything, they're jumping on the bandwagon saying, yes, this did happen. They're confirming right, a lot of this. And, and if, if former players are quiet, well, that there's your answer right there. Yep, that silence is deafening. Mm -hmm. And um, there's going to be a huge problem with Northwestern. I mean, there's obviously going to, be, going to be more to come because it seems like as soon as this kind of – it's not going to go away at all anytime soon. And it's not going to calm down because it shouldn't calm down. But – as soon as we think that, okay, it's kind of in motion, something else jumps on. You know what I mean? We think that, the, okay, the process is going to run the process. It's going to be in motion. And we hear about something when it's something big. And next thing you know, something else comes <clears> out. <throat> it is big, but there's going to be something bigger than that because something has to be paid. The piper has to be paid ultimately. Yeah, the investigation has to run this course. You know, let's say I came out and I told my story and they said, well, who can corroborate it? And I say, well, Trav, Trav was there. Then they come yep. talk to you and you can corroborate what I say, but then you might have your own story. And then Absolutely. it just grows and, and, and spreads. And so we just got to wait till, till it's done. I never thought that Northwestern would be a story like this nationally. I mean, you know, you take social media yeah. for what you want to take it for, even something like YouTube that's international, if you want to take it that way, or if people decide to check it out that way. But, man, Northwestern's still on the forefront, and every other day or at least once a week, there's a new story about that people know about. And going into the season, others are talking about it. And once these talking heads get out there with game day and all of these ESPN talk and the, the other Fox, you know, Fox and all the others start talking college football, you're yeah. going to have to talk about it. The Big Ten. They're in the news for the wrong reason. Though. For all the wrong reasons. We started this this podcast I never thought we'd be talking Northwestern football unless they were first place, second place in the Big Ten, you know, making noise. But obviously that's not the case. They're making noise in the Big Ten, the wrong kind of noise. Mm -hmm. You know, you still have the usual suspects with Michigan or Ohio State or Ohio State, Michigan, whichever way you want to put it. But then they're making too much noise right now. And no one wants to hear it except for attorneys and maybe even a judge ultimately. But sticking in the Big Ten, what's going on with the Big Ten? Is this like... SEC Midwest, we're talking about gamblers here, man. The quarterback, Hunter Deckers from from Iowa State, gambling on football games, college football games. Not only that, Iowa State football games. I mean, there's been a story that he's made 26 bets against teams in within Iowa State and up to 366 bets total on his account with over $2,000. He's not getting any NIL money, most likely. Where is this coming from? You know, they, with the sports betting being legalized, they opened the Pandora's box. You would think with uh, players getting suspended in the NFL, college players would know better, They, but they think, well, we don't have the same rules, and I actually don't know what the rules are. Um, but I know betting on your own team is a no-no. <laughs> 
you, you know, it, I, I don't know. That, that's a lot of bets on your on your games. Um, we got to see what comes of this too. Unfortunately, it, betting is real easy. You download an app. You yep. you uh, you upload some some cash, and you're on your way. What's that? Oh. What's that? What's that spread? Let me see who who I'm betting on. I mean, it's that you you can have a betting account within 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, shoot, less than that because they just want the credit card number. They run with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of this is offshore. And you, you look at it for what it is, and you look at the possible hypocrisy involved. I mean, looking at the Calvin Ridley, then you look at other players who've been hit by it. You know, because you were on the facilities uh, premise, this is the reason why we're going to suspend you. If you would have done it across the street, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have suspended you. I don't know, really don't know what the rules are for college, but these are people, if you really wanted to tear it down, they aren't getting much money. You know, I don't know what kind of a family he comes from, but the NIL money is probably not what it is for a lot of these top players who are out there getting that huge money or even top programs. Let's face it. Minnesota is a middle of the pack Big Ten football team, sometimes a better basketball team. But in the grand scheme of things, the flagship teams of the Big Ten are still going to be Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan, Ohio State, you know. So a guy like that, you know, um, um, well, actually, that's the Big Ten. I'm talking about Pac-12. Uh, this is the Big 12. I was going to say, State. yeah, Iowa State's not in Yeah, I know. You're kind of swirling. Look at that. Just <laughs> my Iowa Knights, my Iowa I had, I had to think about it myself. I'm like, <laughs> the Hawkeyes in the cycle. <laughs> Come on, man. I know somebody's just going to turn off just because of that. You don't know you're – yeah. I know it most times. Yeah, but the Big 12, nevertheless, you're betting on your teams, you know, and, you know, it's for obviously trying to get money. It's not just doing it because he likes to gamble. He's doing it because gambling is going to bring him some money. Yeah. I don't know. You would think he knows better than to bet on his own team, though, on his own school. I don't know what the kid was thinking. I don't know how badly he needed the money, but I'm sure he could have bet on every other Big 12 team or Pac-12, ACC, Big East. Yep. Uh, SEC, whatever he could have bet on any other school but his own. And this is for sure. If you didn't know any rules at all, like you said, you at least know not to bet on your own team. You would <laughs> you think. Know, if, you if you would don't think. know anything, if you don't know what the rules are at all, the default should be let's not start with my own team. You know <laughs> what I mean? That's what you it should think. be. But it seems like that's what he's up against right now, and it's a big issue with the Cyclones and the you know Iowa State Cyclones, and for him in particular. And, you know, this is not going to be the end of it. There are going to be players out there, and there are probably players right now who are gambling their teams or just gambling, period. It's just a matter of getting caught. The burner accounts they may have gambling-wise or whoever decides to call them out or, you know, bring it to the forefront that whoever it is that's out there is gambling. Come on, we would be naive as hell to think that this is the only guy doing it or there's only 100 or even 200. There are a lot of them out there gambling. We just don't know who they are yet. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. It's too easy, and it's possibly too lucrative, especially if you kind of sort of are in a position to move the needle on those games to kind of guarantee whatever your bet may be. Well, yeah, let's say week one you play a team, and they're not as good as you thought they were, but you played against them, so you know. So next week, who are they playing? Oh, I'm taking the other team. You know, that's like insider information. Yeah, hey, you might as well go to Wall Street. Yeah, inside trade, trade it. Go to Wall Street with that. But once again, hey, college players will be college players. This is going to continue to be news because this is something that it's not the first rodeo. It's going to continue to happen. Scooter McDougal did that with Toledo years ago. Now, rest in peace to him. But, yeah, he did that years ago, and he ended up going to jail later on for, I think, other things. But, yeah, I mean, it's happened in college football repeatedly. I mean, man, you and now the pros. I mean, Paul Hornick was, was suspended out of the NFL for that when he was gambling for gambling. I think he and Merlin Olson. But anyways, well, sticking with college ball and at least getting out of the Big 12 or Big 10, we could talk about what's going on in the ACC, and that's Florida State. Probably a lower Clemson, the top two teams in the ACC this year. It hurts me, of course, because as a <laughs> fan, I don't want to see that, but this is what it is. FSU threatening to leave the ACC. And right now, they have some leverage with them making that claim. Yeah, you know, they're they're ranked in the preseason top 10. They're, it looks like they're on their way back. 
and the Big Ten wants them, as we, we discussed yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a major, major move. A logistical nightmare, but a major move for the Big Ten. You know, they get their to get their calls in another region of this other country. And it's perfect timing for Florida State if they really wanted to make an issue out of out of it, which I believe it. You know what? Hey, if the opportunity is there, why not take it? Because President McCullough, he's saying that, you know what? We want more of the money which is coming into the ACC, which I do believe that they they deserve. I mean, Clemson, Miami, and Florida State, in terms of brand, those teams are probably the most branded teams and popular teams in the country. So there may need to be some money or some consideration given to probably giving Florida State some money, you know, give them more money, more of the, the pie. Uh, their basketball team is consistent virtually every year. Their football team is now back to prominence, but their history shows that they can stay there for the long term. So they may have an argument there. I mean, they still, what, $30 million is what the payout is for them. And I know when they see their cross-state rival, which is the Florida Gators, getting up to $70 million in payouts because that's what the SEC is kind of throwing out there. Hey, they, they got to they gotta feel a certain kind of way. And if right. the Big Ten is knocking on the door, you know the Big Ten and the SEC are the two huge conferences with these huge contracts in television, you know you have the leverage. Yeah, it would make all the sense in the world, uh, financially anyway. Um, and we tell players, go get that bag. Why not the schools, too? Yeah, the schools have been getting the bag for the longest. Now the players the are bigger bag. bag. And they're getting a bigger bag, and it's only getting bigger. But it's true. The SEC and the Big Ten, they're in front of everybody. You know, the, the, the Pac-12 or Pac-9 now doesn't know what they're going to do. I mean, they're trying to recruit teams, and the Big 12 has already recruited teams, bringing in UCF and BYU and teams like that, and Texas is leaving, and Oklahoma is leaving, so it's kind of musical chairs. But a lot of money will be spent, and you want to go to whoever spends the most money. It wouldn't do Florida State, in my opinion, any good to go to the SEC because it's a harder road to try to win a championship. Going to the Big Ten is an easier road. Not that it's easy to just walk through the park, but I'll take the Big Ten in terms from top to bottom against the SEC top to bottom in terms of the ease of getting to a championship. You're always going to run into Michigan. You're going to run into Ohio State every now and then. And now Nebraska's getting better. So you're going to run into a couple of teams as opposed fingers to the Huh? I said fingers crossed. Yeah, right? I, I mean, yet. the way things are looking. You got to see it on the field. Got to see it on the yeah, field. It, it, it went on paper. But <laughs> in, in the SEC from top to bottom, you're still going to have Alabama. You're still going to have Georgia. You're going to have LSU. Florida's going to rear his head at some point again. You know, and then now Oklahoma, Texas coming in. I mean, God, Texas a So, so let me ask you, let me ask you a question. If the Big Ten does get these teams they're talking about, Clemson, Florida State, um, Washington, Washington. yeah, a couple other teams, should they still be called the Big Ten? Exactly. Well, you know what? I think they – yeah, the Big Ten. I mean, they already have way more than ten teams now, but if they have – Four or five or six more teams. They're close to twenty, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, remember when they called them the uh, the Big Eleven and Jess when <laughs> they joined, and they called them the Big Eleven. Man, you know, yeah, if that happened, man, you got to change names. First of all, the Big Ten brand is too too big to just get rid of. I don't think you add anything to the Big Ten brand to change it. Um, the SEC, you know, you can do whatever you want there because you can add as many teams. It's not telling you a number, but the right. Big Ten as a brand, I think it's. it's they don't have to do anything. People are going to That's know true. if you're part of the Big Ten. They can live with that little misnomer, I guess, if you want to call it that, and um, <laughs> just continue to make the money they're going to make because, you know, adding the teams there is going to bring in the big money and it's going to make things more competitive. I'm wondering more about what's going to happen with the Rose Bowl. I mean, yeah, whatever's left over in the Pac-9 or Pac-8 or Pac-whatever it is by then, going against the Big Ten who did not make it to the national championship team. Right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, Big Ten, I'm sure, going to make a big push to get these schools to join them. And how can you pass it up if they're offering so much uh, revenue? Oh, yeah. I mean, 30 million compared to 70 million? Huh? Okay. I mean, there isn't really (laughs) any doubt right there. There isn't any thinking that has to be done. And right now, President McCullough knows that there's an opportunity. 
because he has the leverage once again. You know, they're coming for you. The ACC wants to keep you there. But however, though, if Florida State does want to leave, it's going to cost them, I think, $120 million as an exit fee. Now, we're in the age of NIL, and I know there are backers out there. I know uh, the Miami Hurricanes have John Ruiz. He's a billionaire. So, bro, $120 million, man, no matter who you are, outside of Elon Musk and chunk. Big Dick Dog, big chunk. $120 million is a chunk, man. Yeah. Well, we just have to wait and see. We have to wait and see. Yeah, and waiting and seeing is a thing that we have to look at entirely with college football, period, and with your team now. Miles Farmer going into the transfer portal, the safety for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that, or is this just yes. that Matt Rule's guy anyway? Let him go. Yes, yes, I do have thoughts. He got suspended under Scott Frost. This is his second time getting suspended. Okay. So you want to go enter the transfer portal? Good. Bye. See you. Good riddance. You're out. He's obviously not the type of player um, Matt Rule wants. You know, he, he got out of line under Scott Frost. This is his second suspension. Man. And instead of just taking his suspension and, and working on himself, getting better, correcting his mistakes, he's bouncing. So, you know what? Peace. See ya. See, you know, I can't even act like He I'm wasn't watching. that good anyway. He had 30, 38 tackles all season long. And in one game, he had 15. And all the rest of the games. They played 12 games. So... <laughs> 38 divided by 12. How many? Come on, man. Three tackles a game. Yeah, Bye. From, from the reports I've read, it seems as if he's easily replaceable. And going by those numbers, you know, he likely is. And with an attitude like that, he can do nothing but harm inside of a locker room, especially with a coach who's trying to bring a new culture to the team, to a, a proud tradition, obviously. You know, you don't have to be a Nebraska fan to admit the proud tradition of Nebraska football. College football, once again, is always good when there are certain teams that are doing well. Nebraska is one of those teams. When they're doing well, college football is a better thing for it. As much as I don't really like Notre Dame, when Notre Dame is doing well or getting beaten up, college football is good, <laughs> and I don't mind watching it. So yeah, so yeah, get a guy. Yeah, like that it's good it. when they go twelve and zero and then get trounced forty nine to ten, <laughs> like it always happens. And it's typically an <laughs> SEC team doing the trouncing. So you know, um, by Miles Foreman, it seems like your Nebraska fans don't want you either. So don't let the door hit you. I'm not even going to speculate where he may end up. He may end up in the HBCU. I might be in the, in the minority. Uh, you know, Nebraska fans. I went to a Nebraska game, and it's an, it's unreal the how I can imagine how nice the people are. You know, coming from where I came from, and you know, people look at you, and, and you right away we're thinking, "What are you looking at? Who is that? Why are you looking?" But yep. in, in Nebraska, everybody's just so friendly. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, my friend and I, we went to the store, and the guy says, hey, next Tuesday, we got there on Friday. Next Tuesday, we're having a buy one, get one uh, sale. And I was like, oh, we're only in town for the weekend. We're from Chicago. He's like, well, give me your receipt. And he wrote on the back of my receipt, buy one, get one, good forever. Man. And he's like, so whenever you come back, you bring that receipt, you got your BOGO. I was like, wow, that's incredible. I mean, people were just so nice there. It was surreal. So they don't have the same attitude I have. So they may not feel the same way about Miles Farmer. I mean, if he's a tacky player like that, you know, they didn't necessarily turn on Lawrence Phillips when he had his issues. They still wanted to get to the bottom of it and see where it really started and all of that. You know, and I understand how they can have that sympathy and empathy for a player. You know what I mean? But that type of that that part of the country, though, is known for that hospitality. I mean, Southern hospitality is one thing, but the 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 Midwest is known for the niceness that they bring to the table as well. The Depends where you go in the Midwest. Yeah, that's true too, because Chicago is there. <laughs> They're not wholesome. Detroit. Detroit, there's places out there. But Nebraska, Nebraska in particular, because, you know, whether we're talking about Bud Crawford with the boxing and we see that he came from Omaha, a tough place. But you can see the love there. You know, when he go, they go out and about, they might be putting on their Sunday best to show the crowd out there. But a Nebraska game, I mean, that's one of the bucket list teams I, I want to go check out in Nebraska. They, they cheer they cheer for the other opposite team as they're walking off the field. Even when <laughs> when they win, that, that's their tradition. They cheer for the other team. So that, that tells you what kind of fan base they, they are. Yeah, that's not the norm. Cheering for the team that's visiting – and then also the way they 
they just hold up their walk-on program. I mean, who really holds up their walk-on program? Like, I, I mean, just the fact that they're – Just the fact that they're uh, – Sellout streak is still intact after all these all the bad years, mediocre yeah. and crappy seasons. And th- those are fans right there. And uh, a whole mm-hmm. lot of other fans from fan bases, uh, Fairweather fans, can really take a note or two from the Nebraska Cornhuskers. By the way, still a bucket list destination for me to go to Lincoln and watch one of those games. And, and I will root for the Cornhuskers while I'm there because even like with the South Carolina Gamecocks playing Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl, I'm going up to South Carolina against the Gators in October just because I enjoy the <laughs> South Carolina fans when I was there, even in a losing effort. But I'll be there. And so that's closes the door right now on college football because something we probably should have mentioned earlier because it is huge news. It's baseball. And even though the trade deadline, deadline has passed, this isn't the biggest news. The biggest news seems to be Framber Valdez from uh, the Astros who just, as we talked about yesterday, Justin Verlander coming in, pretty much the anchor of the team as the pitcher now, two World Series there, a homecoming, but a no-hitter. One walk yeah. away from a perfect game with right. only 93 pitches. Exactly. He walked the leadoff batter, uh, got the bat, got out of the inning with the double play, so he faced the minimum. If it wasn't for that walk, he'd have been going for a perfect game. And you know he only had seven Ks, and you think, well, he wasn't a very dominant no hitter, but ninety three pitches. Uh, he barely threw. He barely threw ten pitches a, a, an inning. Yeah. So um, he may not have been mowing them down, mowing them down, but they couldn't. They they didn't hit the ball hard at all. A lot of times, there's a uh, maybe a diving catch or a play in the hole where they just barely get the runner by half a step. Nobody hit the ball hard. So, I mean, that's a different kind of domination. And even that final out when it was caught, you know, by the shortstop. I tell you what, man, 93 pitches, I think that's not getting the respect it deserves. 93 pitches, baseball people say it, and it's one thing. But to know it as a fan of just sports, knowing how rare a no-hitter is, we're not talking about a perfect game, but we're talking about a no-hitter, which is still a rarity in baseball. We're talking about over 100 years of baseball being played, and he's now the newest member of throwing yeah, a no-hitter. You know, that maybe that was a response to people like saying Verlander's the number you know one starter now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Hey, you know what? I look hold at my that beer. Age. Verlander, hold my beer. Watch this. And, and he came and he delivered. You know, but I look at that the same way I looked at Domingo Herman with the Yankees when he threw his perfect game. Now, I wish we could throw him out, the t- out of New York. We should have been <laughs> going on the boat out along with Severino in tra- on the trade deadline. But, yeah, but Give credit where credit is due, and I think that could be also a spark for some real consistency for the Astros as well because, as we talked about yesterday as well, they're half a game behind the Texans, uh, the, the Texas Rangers, and they're in a the battle, you know, getting into the playoffs and trying this down the stretch they come. With Verlander back on the mound, <clears throat> 93 pitches is still 93 pitches. Hell, he could have pitched a freaking doubleheader with so few pitches thrown in the first game. <laughs> <No> <laughs> and it, without being a knuckleballer. Oh, and I saw our guy uh, arise. He was at hovering at three eighty one. Yeah, you know, if he if he gets hot, maybe he can get over three ninety. But uh, four hundred, we talked about it. it's going to be very difficult. And he's nineteen points away from four hundred. He'd have to go on an absolute oh, tear absolute to get tear. over four hundred. So. I just thought I mentioned him because we we yeah. we used to talk about him. He's still so our guy. Like, we guys. haven't in a while, so dump him off. We can't just dump <laughs> him off because you know, as we were reading before when we were talking about him and we were looking at other players at that point in the season. I think it was seventy-two games at the time. The players that um, what their batting average was before the All Star break and how all of them fell off, with the exception of Ted Williams, which is obvious, you know, and he fell. He was actually below. Uh, 400 and ended up over 400. He was the only one. Well, the rise, he could be that guy. You know, he could probably, you know, be, hey, he's he's shown he has a hell of an eye for the ball still. His uh, his he still has more walks than strikeouts. And in today's yeah. baseball, that's a rarity, man. Almost like a, a perfect game. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's been a few weeks since the All Star game. He hasn't been hitting at the same clip he was. Yeah. But he's still at 380. And if he gets hot. He can make it real interesting. I hope hey, he does. I, I want to see see I a chase for it. Exactly. I want to see history, man. 
400, not 401. Just get 400. That's it. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, and not 399.99 either. 400, 400. 400. You know what I mean? And finally, Eduardo Rodriguez for the Detroit Tigers <laughs> decided he didn't want to go to the Dodgers. What's the deal here? I mean, I heard the story of why he didn't go, but is that a good move in your eyes? Uh, well, when you consider that there's only two two months left in the season, and I think he's going to be a free agent, so he can go wherever he wants next year, basically. Why not go for two months to L.A. and, you know, try and make a playoff push? Exactly. But, you know, you can't fault anyone when he says uh, he wants to be close to his family. That's so, what the sticking point was. I, I, can't, I can't be mad at him. I can't say he's wrong. Um, maybe two two months close to his family is more important than going to L.A. and still not making the playoffs. <laughs> oh, no, I'm thinking the Angels. No, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm thinking, right I'm thinking the Angels. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Why. Hey, I don't know. Maybe he, does, he doesn't care about a World Series. I don't know. Hey, you know, well, didn't we talk about last year, um, yesterday? The World Baseball Championships is probably more important to them than the World Series. The World Series means a lot more to us because we're Americans and we've been born here. Right. We've grown up knowing that that's the game of games when it comes to baseball. Probably not so much with our foreign brethren as they get into the baseball game and think that the World Baseball Championships is just as important or even more important. But with that being said, the lid is now closed on episode number 36 of the Sports Bag Bros podcast. We would like to see you again tomorrow because it's our Friday, which is Thursday. We do this four days a week, Monday through Thursday. We like dropping that dime and having the conversation me, with you. We hope that you enjoyed say, what we just brought to you. Let see me say you. one thing. Let me say one thing. No, I'm not apologizing Paul Pierce. 30 players at least, at least 30 players, probably even 40 players, I would call the truth before I'd call him the truth. And with That's that said, you know we have to come back and talk about this again. We're going to have to get your opinion. Better than, than Dwayne Wade. Get out of here, man. They should have took the microphone away from him. Man, I'm glad you bring this up in the beginning, man. We've still been going on. <laughs> Catch you all <laughs> later, man. Peace.